Yes. On that note, I want to welcome everybody to the world, according to that man, Benjamin Jeremy Stein, who I had the pleasure of spending the day with in the sweltering heat of glorious Los Angeles. And I want to welcome the rumblers, the ranters, the truthers. And I want to thank you, everybody, from the bottom of our hearts. I mean this, in it, the ranking we have in news and commentary for a show that really does zero promotion and the promotion is Ben Stein to be in the top two, 200 in America, Vietnam, Australia, a few different places, all speaks to Ben Stein. And of course, Peter, who's a great help to the show, uh, our man, Roth. So I want to thank, thank everybody you. from the bottom of our hearts. Um, and we have a special guest tonight. And uh, Peter's just here for the scenery and the imagery because we love looking at him so much. Uh, but we are joined by Horace Cooper. Horace is, um, uh, is, is an author and chairman of Project 21. Uh, and you have a, a, I didn't know you had the other book. So if you could talk about first about the other book, the, the book you spoke about in 2020, and then the new book. So my what? first book, my first book came out in 2020. And actually, July 4th, just like this book, which came out in 2023 how Donald Trump is making Black America great again. And its purpose was to compare the Coolidge policies with the Trump policies and show that during the Coolidge policies, Black Americans prospered mightily and they did with the Trump policies. We're often asked, at least I've been, when is this time when Blacks have ever been great? There was a period when Blacks set records for prosperity. In fact, during the 1920s, while the entire America prospered, we created more Black millionaires than we would see until the 1980s, even as the Black population exploded. The Great Depression robbed America of much of its wealth, and it was particularly pernicious for Black Americans. And it would take a long time for the net number of millionaires. However, by 1982, a millionaire was successful. Today, a millionaire is successful. But a millionaire was really something in 1925. Very good, very good. I can see why you and Peter are friends. Uh, you, you can tell I exercise bad judgment already. We barely know each other. And well, I, how did I, you say that, Ben? I, I, no. I did forget to introduce Ben Stein, of course, former speechwriter and still speechwriter to two presidents, Nixon and, of course, Ford. He's an icon. He's an iconoclast. Uh, he's an historian. And most importantly, though, for the sake of this show, he's a lawyer. And, of course, he's a husband. And... Uh, the great Formerly, until recently a father yeah and a father and um of course and yes ben stein and um again we're glad to have you tonight horace cooper with us from the project 21 and uh of course ben stein who's dedicated his life to speaking the truth and uh speaking the truth about race and speaking the, tr the truth about because it's all based on data 
And the reason I was a big proponent of having Horace on tonight was his selling point was, I mean, was when Peter said he's about data. And that's what Ben has taught me is about data and statistics because they do not lie, Ben Stein. Well, sometimes, you know, my, my, I think, I think, I think any, anyone can tell you that figures don't lie, but liars figure. And yeah. uh, that unfortunately is very much the case with everything having to do with statistics. And uh, statistics are very, 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 very largely, largely made up in, in, in almost every situation. And I, that has certainly been my experience in dealing with leftists about uh, any kind of data. They will simply make it up. And if they can't make it up, they'll ask the questions. If it's a questions-based uh, quiz or situation such that you can only get the answers they want. I mean, oh, figures okay. don't lie, but uh, they say liars figure. And it's important to also note that Horace is a graduate of uh, George Mason Law School and taught constitutional yes, law. Yes, 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 that's great. George Mason. That's great. And I think that's extremely important. And uh, uh, this is where I agree with Ben Horace that it's extremely important. And as we're witnessing today, Ben, uh, uh, before we get into Horace's new book, it's, uh, as you said, I said to you, I'm so bored by this. This Jack Smith stuff is just boring. But it, it, and you said you corrected me, and you said no, it's it's dangerous to the Constitution. It's it, this is extremely dangerous. The tedious part is having to go through this. But when you read the actual indictment, Ben, as I read to you in the car, and I said to Peter before the show, it's I mean, Harris. I think it sounded like Kamala Harris talking. That's how much word salad was was in this indictment it was a joke and i want to get your take i mean obviously i don't think it's if it's a joke it's not a very funny joke it's uh to me it was not a word salad it was a preparation for us to tell us that the indictments can come against any of us at any time that the prosecutors of this country have no restraint and especially as they now have been you are now being used as political uh, killers, as political gunslingers, and uh, this—it's uh, not even close, not even close to being used for the purposes for which it was supposed to be used. Not even close. Not even close. Harris. Well, I agree with that. Um, one of the things is, as I've observed, is that we Americans have been willing to defer to the power and the authority of prosecutors, and in particular, of the authority of the executive. <clears throat> Our founders intended for us to have an energetic executive. They did not, however, intend for the only, the only phenomenon of our federal government is the executive. And what we have been doing, because I think many of us <clears throat> feel that our representatives, our senators, are often people who lack integrity, people who are not interested in the greatest honor and privilege of service. We are willing to allow the abrogation of the separation of powers. I'm sure, Ben Stein, you saw in the Wall Street Journal, Justice Alito's remarks about the impropriety of Congress attempting to regulate the Supreme Court. Well, guess what? There's a similar phenomenon that is happening that is going unchecked. And that is the willingness of Congress to abrogate its authority to oversee 
its own people and instead farm that off to the executive. Now, why do I say that? Why is that important? What's important about it is an all-powerful executive and an all-powerful prosecuting authority isn't, we can witness this with our own eyes, isn't being carried out on an even-handed basis. What never, we are seeing never, never has been. What we're seeing is the executive using that prosecutorial power to achieve his own political ends. Now I'm going to tell this quick story, and I promise it'll be quick. Ted Stevens was a senator, and he was charged by prosecutors for padding, uh, for getting a, an addition made on a cabin in Alaska and allowing those uh, improvements to occur at some sort of a discount. That's what he was accused of. When he was charged, we would later find out that he not only hadn't had a, a discount, he had overpaid for this. We also found out that the prosecutors had suborned perjury, that there was a sexual relationship between one of the FBI agents and one of the witnesses. There was evidence tampering. In fact, the case, even though he was convicted, even though he was, uh, uh, as a result, lost his election, we got Obamacare because he was the 60th vote. Now, when they overturned that, he's not restored to the United States Senate. We're stuck with Obamacare, an aggressive executive. We Americans did not trust the Senate to discipline their own senator. We instead turned that, formed that out to the executive. And we're doing the same thing about election interference. And we're doing the same thing about who ought to be allowed to run. We're farming out that decision when the founders intended that decision to rest with us. Very good. Peter, Peter you're strangely silent. Well, I, I, well I, 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 when lawyers talk to one another, I find it interesting. Uh, but I just think that, that this third indictment will have no more success than the documents indictment. I think these charges are made up out of whole cloth. They've criminalized private communications between clients and attorneys. They're criminalizing speech that they don't like. Uh, they are doing everything they can at their disposal within, within what appear to be legal means. They're not, but they appear to be. Well, this is Donald Trump out of the presidential race. And what I don't understand is how they can be so tone deaf as to not. How they can be so tone deaf. Who do you mean by they? By they, I mean, I mean, the Biden people, the Garland people, the people, the Democratic National Committee, the donors that are paying for some of this stuff, how they don't realize that these attacks on Trump ratify his arguments. They don't dispute the arguments and they make him stronger politically, not weaker. Well, okay, well I, I, I must say if you're... Horace, sorry, Horace. <laughs> go, go ahead, sorry. go ahead. No, no, ben, 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 go for it. We rarely get to see you. So. 
I, I uh, wonder if you have any data behind that. There's, there's a big headline uh, day after day after day in newspapers and on uh, TV shows and ra- even on the radio about these indictments. Uh, I see very little following that about analysis of how uh, voters respond to that. Well, look at the New York Times Siena College poll that came out Tuesday. Not only shows Donald Trump with an almost 40-point lead over Ron DeSantis, his nearest competitor, but it shows him in a dead heat with Joe Biden. Well, that, that's great to know. That's if Donald know. Trump, and this is the New York Times, so you have to... After what? After what, if it's the New York Times? The thumb is on the scale to tilt the data towards Biden as best they can. But if Trump is running even with Biden right now in a New York Times poll, that ought to set off alarm bells. I think that may have helped rush the Jack Smith indictment forward today. Not just just, from Hunter, but... I just want to add, though, that this is lawfare. We, the American people, are supposed to be deciding who we want to be our next president. There is an impeachment process if there has been some misbehavior on the part of any particular candidate or individual running. Donald Trump has been a victim of this twice. This has been adjudicated in the impeachment process. The problem as I see it is that we've been willing to allow this to go forward. Look about the electors, the so-called fake electors in Michigan that have been indicted. In Florida, in 2000, there were a dual set of competing electors submitted. No charges filed. In 1960, when uh, many people think that Nixon had actually won the election, However, he didn't compete, he didn't contest, but in Hawaii of all places, again, a dual set of electors were presented. We didn't see then that that was something that was subject to litigation, something subject to prosecution. Today, because we have deferred to this idea that prosecutors may resolve disputes in a way that our founders assumed we would work out in the political space. Lawfare is what I observe. Ben, I want to ask you this question. I want to ask Ben something. Uh, Horace makes an interesting point about the adjudication of Trump's behavior on January 6th having been accomplished by uh, the impeachment and the failure of the Senate to convict. Does that give Trump an opening to fight the indictments on the grounds that he's already been tried for that? That's a good question. I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but do, I don't think a case of double jeopardy uh, has ever occurred in which the, the defendant was a uh, sitting president or recently, a president who's recently sitting. Double jeopardy is something that's extremely rarely in, uh, yes. involved yes. in court cases. Ben, I it's a very, you. very, very rare. Ben, I want to ask you this question. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm guessing is, is is there is there such thing as malicious prosecution? Yes, there is. And the reason, there, but oh, it's, it's very, very, very hard to win those cases. Very. But the reason I'm I'm asking is Ron DeSantis is the governor of the great state of Florida. 
and we know he's done a good job. And at, at this point, he's he's he has no shot. Jack Smith is obviously going after every single indictment in the state of Florida. Could could Ron DeSantis possibly go after Jack Smith for 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 malicious prosecution? Is my question, Ben? Is I mean turning the tables on this guy because somebody really doesn't need to turn the tables on him. Well, I think Trump could sue him for malicious prosecution, but Trump, who I think is nowhere near, I mean, rather malicious prosecution and uh, double jeopardy. I, I think uh, it's been extremely thoroughly discussed that Trump is nowhere at least I think, nowhere near as rich as he seems to be or pretends to be. So I'm not sure he wants to get involved in that kind of litigation. That's a very, very expensive process. But uh, I, I think your basic idea is quite sound. There's, there's something extremely bad, let's make it real simple, bad about endlessly prosecuting the same guy in the state of Florida, especially for the most trivial the absolutely most trivial nothing can be imagined. When I when you read me the list of, uh, what should I say, misconduct that Trump was alleged to have done, I could hardly believe my ears. I mean, these, this is nothing that you could go into any person's house in America and find reasons to, to uh, indict him or her on those grounds. You could say uh, he's not burning uh, the right kind of light bulbs. Excuse me. You could say his car is not properly tuned. I mean, there's so many ways to uh, to prosecute people in America today. And now we're seeing uh, uh, prosecutors, perhaps not quite right in the head, uh, using them. Well said. And Horace, I want to get to you. I want to get uh, just tell you. So Ben and I, uh, in 2000, January, what was it? Probably January 7th. We're driving back from a place called Rancho Mirage in the desert. And first he was on the on the phone with a, a friend of his, God rest his soul, one of the most talented men in the world, uh, as far as speech writing went, uh, and who had said to him uh, something to the effect that Trump really sort of caused this. And uh, Ben is in the car and he's reading the whole speech as we're driving back. So it's about a two and a half hour drive back. And he reads it the first time and he says, I don't see anything, you know, the, the, and, and he reads it again and, and he reads it again. And, 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 and it's a pretty long speech and it took up most of the car ride and Horace. And by the end at the car, ride, Ben's like, and, and I trust Ben's opinion as far as the law. And I will, will probably trust your opinion, but we both read the same thing. He called for a peaceful, he called for a peaceful protest. What more? What, what is there? What the, the, yeah. there's no there there. That's right. There's no. It's, it's like what my great aunt Gertrude Stein said about Oakland. When you get there, there's no there there. And there's, no, <laughs> there's no there there about. Uh, I was great great aunt, but there's no there there about uh, not at all about uh, anything he did on January sixth. It was dangerous or against the law. It just didn't happen. And it's a death penalty. Just so you know, Ben. Wait, it's not a death. No, penalty. no, no, no. Yes, this there there is a statute from 1874, some year like that, where if you do a certain crime, I'm saying what they're accusing him of in Washington, if somebody dies because of your actions, that's punishable by the death penalty. Well, that, that's that's true everywhere in the country, yeah. but that's but that's uh, yeah. That, I mean, that's, you put it past uh, the murder doctrine, but 
But let me, let me suggest this. Uh, I am watching this phenomenon. Let's think about whether or not senators and House members invest and they uh, rely on information that they gather while they are at work and they have access to information. Overwhelmingly, Americans say, well, that ought to be a crime. Well, guess what? It is a crime. If your congressman votes to make this a crime, I can promise you, especially when you have a five-vote majority, the only people who are going to be prosecuted are going to be those that enhance the executive's position. Yes, we have a lot of crooks that work in Washington for us. We should be vigilant about forcing them to exercise the prerogatives that our founders intended. And they intended for Congress to handle this kind of misprint behavior. What we're witnessing with these indictments is an overarching, over far reaching effort of prosecutors. In this case, he's prosecuting people for speech. Now I've written that if you misgender someone, it is not something that you should be allowed to be imprisoned for in America. Misgendering is merely a form of speech. Tommy Quick, I'm on the show. Somebody is coughing outside. But a crime now in Michigan, correct? But a crime in Michigan. It's going to have to be challenged because it's a violation of free speech. Oh, sir, 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 sir. All right. All right. What Mr. Smith has done is criminalize speech. Sir, with the greatest Sir, with the greatest respect, you know very well that there are great, great many kinds of speech that are criminal. That that's that's not at all unusual. I mean, we need only say, go back to shouting fire in a crowded theater. But no, 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 I, no, not an absolute. I'm just talking about protected speech and protesting about an election, uh, complaining about uh, the fairness or integrity of an election. That is core protected First Amendment speech. And yet this prosecutor is using that as his predicate. You look through this indictment. He uses those comments as his predicate for his indictment. Sir, with the greatest respect, I I think you would have a hard time finding a case which says what you just said, saying namely that any kind of speech about politics is protected from any kind of prosecution. I I think it should be. You're certainly right, it should be. But uh, I don't think it is. I mean, we know, for example, that after World War I, after World War II, there were many, many, many laws in this country which made it a crime to speak uh, in favor of a communist revolution. I mean, in this country, or, com- or communism, or any kind of subversion in this country, and I, I need only mention the Smith Act, which covered everything that you said, just said can't be covered. Uh, with all due respect, I'm discussing a much narrower area, not those that threaten the existence of our government, the, not those things that ferret out communists or forces that are attempting to overturn merely the ability to say 
my taxes are too high. The ability to say the election. Yeah, but I, I think that the that the liberals would argue that what Trump said on January sixth did lead to efforts that were an attack on the continuation of the U.S. government. I think that's their entire but, argument. That Trump, but it's a nonsense he, argument. Yeah. I, mean, I, no, I agree it's a nonsense they argument. They cannot they're, identify they're liberals. Clear, that's what you expect from them. Nonsense present argument. danger that the court has embraced. And by the way, the modern court is highly unlikely to embrace the kind of ad hoc restrictions on political speech. Yes, we saw in the early part of the 20th century, a wholesale, especially when Wilson was president, a wholesale onslaught against the ability of people to offer certain types of critiques. But even there are cases involving the NAACP, there are cases involving the Communist Party that have gone to the Supreme Court during the Warren years that have not been overturned, that specifically embrace the right of people to offer these kinds of critiques. And I am highly confident that if not the uh, uh, DC Circuit Court of Appeals, the Supreme Court is going to strike those predicate statements that this uh, prosecutor uses that are simply saying, I don't agree with the outcome of this election. I don't agree that our the, the elections were run appropriately. I think that there needed to be far more. To criminalize that is to unduly intrude on core First Amendment principles. Couldn't agree more, but it's kind of interesting to me that that has, that has not happened yet in all the January 6th cases. I mean, that should, that should have been knocked out. Those, those cases should have been knocked out instantly. Yeah. Well, I agree with that, and I do think that what we're going to see is some relitigation of those after the Bidens leave the White House and a new Justice Department is likely going to revisit some of those sentences and some of the appeals, um, like the Eugene V. Debs case, poverty prevents some of the types of appeals that might naturally occur from getting to where they need to go. But after the Bidens leave, I might imagine that the Justice Department might actually flip sides on some of the ways in which courts have handled uh, these abuses. Uh, let me just make this point. The insurance industry says some $10 billion in property damage was done in 2020. What? But that was mostly some $10 billion in damage was done to property in the name of the peaceful protests in 2020. Nothing like that occurred on January 6th. And yet- You've got a nice set of pipes there, pal. Uh, uh, well, uh, nothing like that happened on January 6th. And yet the penalties are stark contrast. Right, I, I couldn't agree more. I think anyone approaching this sensibly would agree with that. Uh, some, the, the whole problem is that we have a highly politicized prosecutor, prosecutorial yes. branch, highly, highly yes. prosecutorized, but politicized, that does not recognize any restraints on its behavior. Absolutely. Those restraints should have been 
imposed by the courts. The courts have been very timid about it, to put it mildly. That's one. And two, uh, as Judah has said many, many times, this is really, a, I think, a genuine contribution to political science in the year 2023, and Judah's Thank making you. it. You're welcome. The, the fact that the U.S. Senate Republicans are so quiet about this is shameful. And the fact that the, uh, the U.S. House of Representatives uh, by, led by, by a very narrow margin by Republicans is so quiet about this is shameful and really a, a disgrace to the Republican Party of Abraham Lincoln or, or, of, uh, or of Richard Nixon. I'll tell you why, Horace, what Ben brought up, because I've I've learned my, as Peter learned his law through Perry Mason, I've learned my history and my civics through Ben Stein. And I've learned, I've been educated about, uh, from Richard Nixon to quite a few people. And I look at what uh, we often discuss that Nixon, Nixon uh, in today's day and age probably would not have had to resign. Uh, but the sadness in the whole thing was is the lack of um, loyalty among people in the Republican Party that is party over per, it's, it's, it's 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 principles over personalities. Yeah, unfortunately, the Republican Party showed very little courage in the Nixon days, and they're showing very little courage about defending Trump right now. I mean, so, the number of people who really are speaking up for Trump in the Republican Party is a pathetically small number and it's the and it's in the timid way that they do it that they and again they do not realize and uh, the, the the devastating blow this causes to the base they don't realize that this is what turns the into peter's point before is he's correct there's data that every time trump does get indicted his numbers go up but to Horace's point, Ben, he brought up a very good point. I encourage people to many good points, but I encourage people to look this up. The District of Columbia is one of the most corrupt districts in America. Uh, and uh, it, this is no joke what he's going through in the District of Columbia. They are a dangerous lot that censors all opposing views. Lawyers get censored all the time lose their law licenses can't practice in the, in this in in, in 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 washington so i encourage people to really look at that up to the overreach and just to reset a little bit we are here with horace cooper from project 21 and uh, i want to thank peter for uh bringing you on the show but i really want to get into your uh also your new book which is if you could uh say the title uh you'll say it way more eloquently than i could uh, ever Put you all back in chains, and Biden's policies hurt blacks. And uh, I'm I, sorry, whose book is that? That's Horace's book. That's Horace's. Very book. nice, very nice, very and, nice. Uh, put you all back in chains. How Joe Biden's uh, policies hurt black Americans. Uh, this is something. I'm, I'm a uh, panelist we, and a grip. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Peter. You could leave now. You ended it on a great joke. Uh, but uh, to Horace's uh, point, Ben, this is something we discuss all the time. Uh, recently, I, I, I'll get to Horace in a second about this because you wrote the book. But I think it's very important, Ben, because uh, Tucker Carlson did an interview with Ice Cube and uh, obviously from uh, NWA. And Ice Cube was one of these people that said, I was very disappointed with Obama. And because he did nothing for the black community. And uh, yet I'm sure if he voted in 2020, 
he voted for Joe Biden. Now, this has been a huge issue is is so you've been disenfranchised, but it's like sort of this Stockholm syndrome uh, of of uh, and I speak to this, Harris, as a Jew, that we're always uh, so conflicted why so few Jews vote Republican when they're the biggest supporters of Israel and vice versa in the black community. There's been nobody that's destroyed it more. And then the Democrats, Ben, and yet they continually vote. And I don't know what more Republicans have to do, can do to get the black vote. Ben, I'll go to you first. And then Horace, obviously, since you're the writer of the book. But Ben. It's a mystery to me. And uh, there is a myth that Jews are particularly smart. And uh, unfortunately, it is a myth. But uh, it's uh, but they're certainly not. I mean, they do very well on standardized tests. They make a lot of money by and large compared to other groups. But uh, in terms of their voting their own political interests, they're pathetic. I think a long time ago, they uh, were taught that the Republican Party was for uh, white, rich Gentiles and uh, Protestants, especially. And uh, somehow they never quite got out of never quite got out of thinking that way. And uh, it's kind of heart rendering. And uh, when I was. Uh, working for heart rendering, a word my wife made up. It's a great word. Uh, uh, when I was working at the White House, I used to see a man named Rabbi Korf who would lead a big, big rallies for Nixon. But that was pretty much all I saw about that. And uh, I don't know what the hell happened in the heads of the Jews of America to make them so confused about where their political interests lie. So well said. And Horace, I got this line from Ben. I know he might have gotten it from somebody else. But when it comes to blacks and Jews, they're the, they're the only two self-interest groups that never vote their own interest, Horace. It's very well uh, observed. Here's a couple of data points. And I mention a lot of this in my book. Uh, in 2008, the high watermark for black American support for Democrats occurred. of all black voters showed up on election day and voted for Barack Obama. But guess what? Every election since then, that number has reduced and it has reduced substantially. In fact, Barack Obama has a distinction in 2012, something the media doesn't mention. He is the only president who was reelected with fewer votes than his successor in nearly 100 years and in, in incredibly fewer black votes. Ronald Reagan got more black votes the second time that he ran. Richard Nixon got substantially more black votes the second time that he ran. George W. Bush did. Bill Clinton did. What Obama did was reduce that net number And he did so the old-fashioned way. His policies crushed America, and Blacks were in America, and they were crushed most. How were they crushed? How were they crushed? Record numbers of Black Americans had their car taken from them by creditors during the Obama years. Well, surely you're not going to blame Obama for that. Record numbers. Uh, Yes, I am. And the reason is because in my first book, I point out that record number of black Americans got their brand new car. 
we invented when Obama was president, the phrase staycation. I'm broke, I can't go anywhere, but I've got days off. Under the Trump administration, record number of Americans, and in particular, record number of black Americans took their first summer vacation, got to go see grandma for Thanksgiving. During the Obama years, what we saw was the progress that had happened in America rapidly reversing and black Americans who earn less than the average wage found themselves hurting even more. And the employment gap between blacks and the unemployment gap for America widened substantially till we were looking at numbers that we hadn't seen since the Great Depression. These policies hurt Black Americans. And so we got to 12, we got to 14, we got to 16, we got to 18. Guess what? The number of Black Americans voting like sheep for the Democrats has steadily reduced. The magic number is 85. If Democrats do not get 85% of the Black vote, they cannot carry New Jersey, they cannot carry Illinois, they cannot carry Pennsylvania. In 2022, the Black vote was 88% for the Democrats. I still would like to go back to the car thing. I don't understand how if, I, if I'm a Black person and I have a car and it's repossessed because I can't make they the payments on it. How is that? How is how's that Obama's fault? I mean, I, I believe me, I don't like Obama at all, not at all. But I, but I don't, uh, but I don't understand how he can be held responsible for someone with losing his car. With all due respect, when economies grow, fewer people have their homes foreclosed on or their cars repossessed, and you can look at the Reagan boom. Or you can even look at the Bush boom and you can see a reversal of this phenomenon. And guess what we're witnessing today? In just two and a half years of the Biden administration, we are seeing a skyjacking number of car repossessions, credit scores dramatically dropping when you are unemployed, when inflation runs too high, when the economy is not supporting you, you end up having to triage. There's too much month left over when the paycheck is over. That means something has to give. Car payments often are the first thing to go. Well, insurance is the first to go. Health and life and car insurance are the first to go. But then car payments, then house payments. Food and utilities are the last. When you look at what has been happening in America, the Biden administration tells us this economy is booming. This economy is not booming. I'm gonna use another car stat. The age of automobiles on the road today. We're setting a record every month for how old the cars are. Under the Trump years, we gained 
32 months of youth. Cars were 32 months younger than they had been under Obama. Well, we're getting giving all of that back. Surely you do not blame Mr. Biden for the age of cars on the highway. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Part of the American dream. And again, I repeat, look at the Reagan years. More Americans bought a new car than we'd ever seen before any other time. Prosperity meant you could do it. Today, poverty means you're not buying a new car. You're not buying a slightly used car. You're buying an average eight-year-old car. Those cars aren't as fuel efficient. They're not as safe. And because the life has been sucked out of them, they're not as reliable. If you use those to get to work on a consistent basis, you're guaranteed you're going to have some interruptions. When people can't afford the kinds of basic things, the Institute for Justice has done many, many analyses on how the introduction of an automobile in the life of impoverished people turn around the likelihood that they can gain income, that they can expand, that their kids complete education. Wait, 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 wait a second, wait a second. Are you telling me that you think that there is data that shows that the age of a person, a, a car, has a, a causal effect, not a, yes. not that they're linked, but has a causal effect on the education of the fam- children and those families? You can't go, you can't make it to the kinds of social activities that encourage people for school. The school bus might take you, but we can't get you there. We don't have reliable transportation. And again, many of the people who have marginal incomes, they're not going to amazing schools. So you need the ability to supplement interest in education. And yet, if you don't have reliable transportation, you can't do that. You can't make it to work consistently. So you mean to tell me that you think that President Biden uh, in some way causes uh, black people or people of any ethnicity to uh, have cars of a certain age? Oh, absolutely I do. Absolutely I do. Um, How how do you square that with the fact we have record low unemployment? We have record low participation in the that is determining the employment rate. We're at the Carter years in terms of participation. Employment measures people who are looking for work, not the people who have given up on work. Record numbers of Americans receive uh, a Social Security Supplement, SSI, that is uh, uh, under HHS rules been made much easier to achieve. When I was a kid, we call those crazy checks. The kids that got- I know uh, what they are, I know know what they are. Record numbers now have those. We are displacing people. And in fact, there's a large number of people that have simply stepped out of the official economy. There Mm -hmm. are, yes. You, you think you can uh, make a uh, 
causal connection between that and President Biden. I mean, I, I hate to be the one on the panel defending Biden because I really don't like him at all. But uh, to, to try to have cause and effect linked here, it seems to me a bit far-fetched. I'm highly confident in the association between the ability of people to get access to quality, durable consumer goods in a thriving economy and the consequences when they do not. And that includes not just cars, that includes refrigerators, that includes washers and dryers, that includes all of these products that make it more likely that the children in those households will be able to focus on attaining their education, mastery of their educational needs. When those things are not present, what you see is less of that. And poor people tend to face this in a shrinking economy. And by the way, do you challenge that we're all but in a recession? Uh, very much so. Very, very much that? so. Very much so, because the, the, despite what you're saying about the participation in the labor force, we've always measured the unemployment by who is willing to work and who doesn't want to yes. work. So by the standards of standard measurements, we have an incredibly prosperous economy. And in fact, the economy is too prosperous. That's why we have such terrible inflation. And if you were going to say uh, we have a serious crisis about inflation, there I would be very happy to join up. But uh, I don't think that's Biden's fault either. I don't think Biden has any idea about economics, but the numbers, any idea about what causes inflation. By the way, just to reset, uh, uh, Horace, Ben, ben is very uh, on, the, on this case because we were discussing this today about he blames so much of this on Dr. Fauci. And uh, because Fauci set in motion, Ben, I'll let you say it because I. No, he said he scared people to death and he scared he scared the people who uh, run the monetary policy of the United States to death. So they were just printing money by the balefuls, like just like they did in Weimar, Germany, just basically tossing it out of helicopters onto the American people. And yeah, sure. Absolutely. That caused inflation and how we're going to get out of it without having a really serious recession is a hell of a good question, but uh, maybe we will. I hope we, I sure hope we do. I, this inflation is killing me. Take one of my famous dollar bets. Uh, by March Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You're famous. Uh, like, dollar uh, bet. But how, in what way are these famous? <laughs> well, if I lose, I give you the dollar. That's famous. I normally don't lose. <laughs> if you lose, you'll give me the dollar. Okay, I didn't. Or, I we didn't can, or, or we'll play. Or we'll play. Win Horace's money one night. Okay, great. Okay, well, great, Horace. Uh, March, spring of 2024, we will be officially in a recession. This economy is not growing. It is not overheated. It is overregulated. It is overcontrolled. What we absolutely have needed was for government to get out of the way. And under Joe Biden's administration, under every executive order he could find, he is pushing government in the way. And those marginal people, many of them overwhelmingly black, pay the price. I'll tell you what, Harris, let me ask you a quick question. How can a person be overwhelmingly black? Or do you mean the the group? No, 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 I said many of those people overwhelmingly are black. Oh, I see. Right, Horace, let me ask you. So this is all in your new book. 
Yes. And where it's all in my new book. And where I break up in several different chapters, both the economic, the regulatory, all of these kinds of things. And I helpfully show a contrast when the policies were different, how people prospered. It's great to get your your nephew off your couch when the economy is growing. It's terrible when your nephew has to come and move in. Oh, and by the way, I mentioned in my book, we have record numbers of second and third generation people having to move back home because this economy is awful. I I need to sell my house now, apparently. I want to. I'm sorry. Say say that again, Peter. It sounds like I need to sell my house now. So they don't Uh, come back. (laughs) So they don't come back. Don't tell them where I'm going. I don't believe there is a house. I believe there's a room since that's all I've seen. But my my old boss, my old boss, Dick Army, used to say the American dream isn't to get your own home. It's to get your kids out of it. And, oh, that's good. That and, is good. And Ben, ben Harris, we never shared the story about how you met Ben. And I, what the reason I love this story so much is because it, there's very few of the people like, and I witness this all the time. Ben's the only cele- the only icon or celebrity you'll ever meet that after you meet him, he'll know more about you than you do about him. He's more giving of his time. There's not a signature he won't give or a picture he won't take with, it doesn't matter who it really is. And I love uh, those stories. So Horace, uh, if you would share your story. Well, first of all, I'm a fan of the Laffer Curve. Uh, I absolutely believe that we have to set up an economic environment where we incentivize risk-taking where we incentivize growth. When I was a kid, there was a movie that came out. How old are you now? Oh, we're not going to go into that, Mr. Stein. Now, wait a second. How big's your checkbook? Checkbook is is, is not very big at all. I'm very poor. Uh, All right. Well, then we're not going to go into that. When I was a kid, I watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off, even though my parents did not encourage me to go to the movie theaters. But Ferris Bueller's Day Off was a great movie. And there I got to see Ben Stein. I would later read, I would later read in my history classes about Ben Stein working in the Nixon administration. So one day in 1999, I am on a United Airlines flight flying from Dulles to LAX, mm-hmm. I am on the uh, the uh, Bill Maher Politically Incorrect show, mm-hmm. and they flow me down first class. Great. And who do I see up in the front row of first class? I'm in the third row of first class. Is Mr. Ben Stein himself? Great. I don't Great. say anything the entire flight, but as we're about to get off the plane. I approach you and I say, I'm a big fan of yours. I was oh, very kind of you. Very kind of you. Well, I'm a big fan of yours. That's why I'm on your show tonight. So it's very kind of you. Very kind of you. Uh, I, and I asked if I could have a photo with you. And you said, I can do more than that. You can have several photos with me. And mm-hmm. I have one. I need to probably um, figure out, oh, it's in Texas. I have it on my wall. A picture of me and Ben Stein. 
But I'm gonna. Well, I'm, I'm gonna I have to say, I'm deeply you. flattered. Yeah, that's a wonderful story, and it, uh, it's great, a great story. And it goes to the and and thank you for sharing that, Horace. And it goes to the theme of uh, as we're ending shows lately of uh, how easy it is to be kind. And, oh, very good. And, and and how easy it is in today's world because people are unwilling to do it just to put that extra smile on somebody's face by taking that picture, by putting out your hand, by if you could afford to buy that cup of coffee, by doing something kind for people. And uh, especially our men in uniform and our women in uniform and people that serve our great country, but just how easy it is. And I, I, I got to say, Ben, that, that's the Horace. I love that you shared that story because those are, Thank you, greatest, those are some of my greatest experiences with Ben Stein. And God and bless you. is, is, is is that when people meet him, it it truly he he doesn't he has no anger he 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 loves the fact that he got to play the teacher and it never gets old for him and it never and he truly loves it and he and he honors it and he respects it and he respects those that uh, got something got so much out of it and uh, you're it, very kind. I'm just speaking the truth. So Horace. Please tell people how they can find your book. Sure. Uh, wherever fine books are sold, or you can go to Amazon. Walmart is actually doing a 15% off sale. So I would recommend people that are wanting the book. Remember, it's put y'all back in chains. And what I am hoping is that we can have a conversation about why picking racial winners and losers is a bad idea. It doesn't work for the preferred group and it hurts everybody else too. And right I, on. Right on. And I want to thank Peter Roth for setting this up. Our man Roth, who you could pretty much find him. I want to know, Peter, I, I cannot end the show without saying where the hell is the Vietnamese restaurant? restaurant. I'm still looking. I'm convinced. <laughs> I'm convinced that's why we trend in Vietnam is because you keep on asking him about this Vietnam Vietnamese I restaurant. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how we're in the top 250 or top 200 in Vietnam. Might be in the top 100 in Vietnam, and I find it remarkable. So Vietnamese food, Vietnamese food, Vietnamese food. Buy that Vietnamese food. And uh, but Peter, from the bottom of our hearts, uh, thank you. You can find Peter all over, especially his fans only page at the rough draft at uh on fans only and peter thanks again for uh for setting for setting this up and i just want to thank both of you because my favorite show and i'm sure uh horace loved this show and i miss it dearly was every week was ben on cavuto on business and yes. i i and i i loved the banter between and you yes. both happen to be black but between him and charles payne and it was it was it was I, I am not black. No, but Charles. <laughs> yes, you are. And I am. You, and I am. You are who you say you are. And I it was some of my favorite stuff. So as you guys were going back and forth, it really brought me back to some of my favorite television, which was oh, God bless you. business. God so bless I want to thank you. That both. was a lot of fun doing that. And I really missed it a lot. I want to thank the rumblers, the ranters, the truthers, and everybody out there. Uh Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Again, Horace Cooper, thank you. Peter Roth, thank you. Ben Stein, please take us out however you'd like. And if you're going to sing, it's Ben Stein singing only. Oh. Oh. Okay. Okay. Uh.
On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Then I'll cherish that old rugged cross till my bodies at last, till, sorry, till my bones at last I lay down. I will cherish the old rugged cross and exchange it one day for a crown. And that is song was a favorite of my wife's grandmother, Big Mama, as we called her, uh, who was from a small town in Oklahoma. And we loved her a lot. And uh, my wife uh, is a saint, a living, breathing, actual saint. Yes, she is. I agree 100%. And, and Pinaris, thank you so much for being on our show. We certainly enjoyed it. I hope you're doing it again soon. Please, Horace. Oh, yes. I, re I really enjoyed it. And if you, find the, if you find the Vietnamese restaurant that Peter ate, <laughs> let us know. And Peter, you are the man. And I again, do my best. Not... Sorry, Peter. I do my best, and it is a privilege to be part of this program. Yeah. God bless you all. God, God bless, bless America. We'll see everybody on Thursday night. Have a great night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye.